Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. We're finishing off a series called Life in the Spirit. And uh, it's taken out of Romans 8. So uh, for those of you that are joining us for the first time, so the past three weeks, we've been trying to work our way through Romans 8. If, if you've studied Romans 8 before, you know that that is uh, quite a feat itself, just to break it down into four parts, because there's just so much meaty theological um, ideas in there uh, that need to be really unpacked. But we, we've done our best to kind of break it down in the last three weeks. And I'm going to help you out by summarizing some of it for those of you that haven't heard it. Um, but I get the privilege of wrapping things up this week. And I, you can tell that I actually put together this series because I, I made sure that I was on the final Sunday. So I get to do this part because it's one of my favorite parts. So uh, as I said, very looking forward to uh, sharing this with you this morning. Okay, so what we've been trying to do, what the kind of purpose of this series is that we, we wanted to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. No, we just celebrated, uh, obviously, Pentecost Sunday's just gone past. And so there's often a theme at this time of year. We look at the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And not that we forget him in the rest of the year, but there's always often a focus this time of year as, as we remember and remind ourselves that the, the Holy Spirit was sent as our helper. So we try to think, okay, well, how can we understand that? And I think Romans 8 just does such a great job of just breaking down the different aspects of how the Holy Spirit's ministry helps us in our lives, helps us in our journey in faith. And so we learn about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that it's actually what makes life with God possible. You know, without the Holy Spirit operating in our lives, it would be impossible to follow God. And there's different ways that he makes it possible. It's because of the Holy Spirit that we actually know who the Son is. And because we know the Son, we know the Father. We know that Jesus said that if, if you know me, you know the Father. He came to reveal the Father. In the same way, we today, we don't have Jesus walking the earth of us, but we have the Holy Spirit indwelt living in us to show her, us who the Son is, that we may know who God is. And that's super crucial for us. We need to know who God is. We need to know that he's trustworthy. We know the kind of life that he's called us to live if we are to live a life with God, right? So each week we've looked at a different aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry to us and the ways that he has promised as the helper that Jesus spoke of. So how exactly has the Holy Spirit, how does he help us? So in the first week, he, we talked about how he shows us that we are forgiven, in Romans 8.1, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that is really just like foundational for us, right? That, that is the reason why we are saved. We, because of Christ Jesus, there's no, now no condemnation for us. That is the good news. So it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that enlightens us, that opens our eyes to that truth, that, that draws us in, that invites us to this new life in the spirit. So that's what Matthew talked about on the first Sunday. The second Sunday, we looked at how the Holy Spirit has shown us that we're actually not just forgiven, not just pardoned, but we've actually been adopted, that we've actually been honored, that he shows us that we are adopted in Romans eight fourteen. For those who are led by the spirit of God 
So those that have received Jesus into their life, they are children of God. Imagine that. I mean, that's just such a crazy, this is the amazing grace that that song talks about. That John, um, was it Isaac Newton? I'm getting mixed up now between Isaac Newton, John Newton. Uh, we'll, we'll edit that one out afterwards. The, podcast. <laughs> the great um, uh, hymn writer talked about that song, Amazing Grace. I mean, it's, it, it's, I mean the fact that we were guilty, uh, that we've not just been acquitted of that, of something that we actually were guilty of, but that we've actually been rewarded in some sense. This is the amazing grace. It is crazy what we have received from Jesus. The Spirit teaches us and transforms our identity from fearful slaves, knowing that we deserve punishment to trusting sons and daughters who can call on our Abba, Father, that we can be united with him in the Spirit. We can have that security of being a part of God's family. So Christel talked about that. And then, and then last week we heard from Shettle. And we talked about how, how the Holy Spirit shows us that God is uh, faithful. In Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit encourages us all the time. He's just encouraging us. Whatever we're going through, this is temporary. We're just working through things. Just like what we're singing right now, he is the way maker. You know, we, are, we, are, we are set. We are destined for a great eternity. And whatever we're going through, whether it's suffering on the outside or we're battling things on the inside, we know that this is temporary. He's encouraging us. He's urging us to go on in our journey. And it's telling us this is not the final word. However we're feeling right now, whatever we're dealing with, this is not final. Just as Joe said, he's there on the other side for us. He's encouraging us forward in our faith walk. The Spirit is with us as an assurance, hope in the Spirit. Now, all of these ministries, they could be summed up in one. The Holy Spirit's assignment is to assure us that we are ultimately his. Because whether you realize it or not, we need constant assurance. I mean, that's humans. We need assurance all the time. We're looking for assurance. We're looking to be encouraged. We want to be edified. We want to be affirmed. And, and we look for that in the workplace. We look for that in our relationships. We look for that in all different places. And unfortunately, people sometimes look for it in the wrong places. But when we go to God, that is what we receive. We receive an assurance. We receive a confidence. We, we receive a, a good word spoken over us. You know, the main job of the Holy Spirit is to persuade us, to assure us. I mean, you think about the works of the Spirit. I mean, we could have, we could have talked about a lot of the ministries and, and how the, the Holy Spirit can work in miraculous ways. You know, the miracles of faith. We could have talked about the answers to prayer, you know, these big victorious moments. We could talk about the quiet whispers and the times of worship that I'm sure many of you have experienced. The convictions of sin that, hey, I'm not quite hitting the mark here. I need to change course. I need to, my life can be better than this. All of these ways that the Holy Spirit works in our life, the revelations that we can get when reading his word, we feel the Holy Spirit speaks to us about that word. All of these experiences are revealing something. They're assuring us of God's good character. We just spent a whole series talking about what is the nature of God? What is his character? Is he a good and trustworthy God? And, and, and the, the answer was, yes, he is. We can trust him. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is constantly trying to convey to us. 
Because, you know, there's, there's so much fear that's being rustled up out there. There's so much accusations that's being sent to us. And a lot of it's coming from ourselves, our guilt and our shame. So we need to be reminded that we are secure in the love of a good father. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's his ministry to us. You know, a fascinating thing about Romans 8 is that it speaks of the ministry of the Spirit. So it talks about what the Spirit does, the Spirit, the Spirit. Until you come to today's passage, Romans 8, 31, 38, where the Spirit himself seems to be testifying with Paul's Spirit in arousing encouragement to the believers. I mean, you can't read the passage that I'm about to read without preaching it. It's not like, you know, a nice quiet reader, you know, instructional. In this, you can just tell that Paul was, he was hopping about when he was writing this one. He was like, oh, this is good. You know, sometimes when I'm writing a sermon and I feel like God gives me like a little nugget of truth, I get really excited even when I'm just in my, my little office. And I could just tell that Paul, when he wrote this, he knew that this was inspired of the Holy Spirit. So let's get into today's passage. If you've got your Bibles with you, it's Romans 8, 31, 38. We're going to finish off the chapter today before we start a summer series. It says this. Read it direct. Okay. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, uh, I've actually extended the scripture. Sorry, I took a bit of Shell's passage in <laughs> It was good stuff. For knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Okay, now I can get in my scripture. <laughs> what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or, f- or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Missed out height and depth. But I've been trying to practice that scripture. This is, I just I confess something to Joe before. I really want to be someone that can remember lyrics. Like, I've never been able to remember hip-hop songs, for example, like my favorite ones. I just couldn't remember them. I'm trying to do the same thing with Bible scriptures now. So I put myself a little challenge. I was like, I'm going to remember that scripture. But luckily, I have another attempt later in this message. Let's see if I can nail it that time. But it's such a fantastic encouragement, that scripture. I mean, this is something that's quoted quite a lot. I mean, you hear a lot of people talk about we are more than conquerors. I know like sports teams like to use that 
maybe use it at the Limham Griffins gym when you go out like, we are more than conquerors. And I was like, yeah, we're going to win. And then I would come and go, well, actually, you know, that scripture is talking about even if you did lose 57 nil, you are still more than conquerors. And then you're like, all right, that doesn't really do it for me. But <laughs> we like to take things out of context, but, but it's a good scripture, inspiring. And um, here is the message of the good news summarized in the opening and closing statements of this chapter. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in the end here, that nothing can separate us from his love. We can have salvation that no one or thing can take from us. It's interesting that most people outside of the church think we are obsessed with sin. That we are obsessed with their sin. Uh, all we want to do is we want to talk about their sin. We want to talk about everything that's wrong with them. Whereas a lot of people in the church think that we talk too little about their sin. Notice I emphasize their. In both cases, I'm talking about their sin because so often we judge in fear of our own judgment. We're basically projecting our own shame. You know, we got stuff to deal with, but the things that we've kind of feel on top of, we want to point that stuff out often. And as new believers... The fear can be that we can't trust God with our sin. Like, can, can I trust this, this guy with who I really am? Can I, can, I, can I really open up like that? But as disciples, it moves to fear if, we, if God can really trust us knowing our sins. God, can you really accept me? Knowing everything you know about me, what I know about myself. And it's that same fear it's just been shifted, basically. It's that same fear of judgment. Now, I'm convinced of his goodness, but I'm acutely aware of my sinfulness. And that makes me uncomfortable. Because it feels like it must be a problem for a holy God. Who I am must be a problem for him. And unbelievers, they might avoid church because they fear judgment of an angry God. Because sometimes that's the picture that's been painted for them. But believers, us as disciples... We can avoid our calling because we also have a fear of judgment of a holy God. And ultimately, I think we, we all struggle with what to do with our guilt and shame. What do we do with this? We're all battling that, right? And I'm speaking from experience here. Now, ever since I was a, a young man, my mother, she called me a pastor. She like spoke of me, oh, Pastor Justin, Pastor. I don't know why, but it stuck with me. And I guess I always thought that one day I would get to a place where I actually feel like, okay, I'm ready to be a pastor now. I'm pastor-like. You know what I mean? I, I've gotten rid of the immaturity of my youth. I'm a mature Christian now. I'm ready to call myself a pastor. Step into those shoes, right? Uh, I thought that day would come, that I would shake off that immaturity of my youth, that I would finally feel like ready for this. So I, but I've been kind of dodging the call for many years now. Like, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready trying to manage my own sin, try to correct my behavior, but I just keep finding this more to be worked on. Emotionally healthy spirituality didn't help. <laughs> Showed I got a lot more to work on. <laughs> um, and and I, I, I feel like, honestly, I don't think I'll ever be ready. I don't think I'll ever be in that place where, where I thought I should be in order to be a pastor. But the strange thing is that people already think I'm a pastor. People come up and go, oh, you're a pastor. Hey, pastor. They, they talk to me like I'm a pastor. And, yet, and I can see that God has been using me all these years while I was still a sinner. 
I'm still a sinner today. And I've come to the realization that it's not my work that qualifies me, but the spirit at work in me. This is the work of the spirit. In parallel, he's exposing the dead things in me, the sinful nature, the things that need to be dealt with. And they absolutely need to be dealt with. Don't get me wrong this Sunday. I am not saying don't worry about sin. God's got it. I, there's things that need to be looked at in the mirror and called out for what they are, and they need to be dealt with. What I'm saying is that the, at the same time, the Holy Spirit is bringing life through you. He's not waiting for you to get all things right. He can be working through you while he's also working in you. Right? So let's not discount ourselves just as people outside might say, well, I'm not a church person because I'm a sinful person. Or I don't match up to the picture that they, that they seem to want for me. In the same way, we can be sitting here and I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to serve God because I haven't got everything together. And those are both mistakes. God is telling us to come as we are. He's telling us to come to him and, and work through your salvation with him in the journey. So I've had a, um, a, a realization that the most important thing is that we recognize that we are sinners. It is really important to, to recognize that we are sinners. That we are, in fact, in need of God's grace, his redemptive grace. We need to invite that into our life on a daily basis. You know, we, I was in a lot of discipleship moments during this Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course um, where God, the Holy Spirit was just showing me that I'm even more corrupt than I had considered. Like I was just thinking about public stuff, you know, the things where the moments where it kind of just broke out. And then I'm realizing that there's more deep-seated stuff. There's actually the root of that. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that as we share these things, you know, you, you would think, oh, you're just feeling like really it's hopeless, right? Really condemned. But it was really hopeful. It was like once we actually just kind of identified it, we're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure God could deal with that. I don't actually think that's too big for him. I think there's actually nothing too big for God. I actually do believe in a transformative God. I've seen it. In others, I've seen it in myself. I believe he can change these things. If I participate in this, if I work with the Holy Spirit, I can actually change these things. I don't have to accept who I am today as a husband, as a father, as a colleague, as a friend, as a pastor, whatever it is. I can actually grow. I believe that. I hope you believe that for your life too. So I actually found that these moments of, of revealing of just the corruptness of the flesh were actually hopeful. It was actually an opportunity for the life of Christ to come in and his grace to work through in me. I think a lot of people can have their life, though. The typical stories is that a lot of people can have their life turned upside down when they come to Jesus. You know, there's just a big dramatic change, right? I've seen that, you know, people just coming off drugs just straight away, right? And maybe their public behavior drastically changes so people notice. Oh, you know, he's not stealing anything anymore. He's not turning up drunk. Like, wow, this person's really changed, right? And, but then they can become disillusioned when they discover that the, the hurts and the hang-ups, the things that actually got them into those bad patterns that actually people saw, they still need to be dealt with. That the things that drove them to, to those conditions, these things still need to be worked out. There's still a private battle that needs to take place, that needs to be fought. And even worse, it can become public in moments of pressure and trials down the line. It's not a bed of roses being a Christian, not at all. 
So when you realize this level of corruption in your heart or experience hardships in your journey, you will no longer ask, do I accept Jesus? But can he really accept me? The question changes there. I mean, I find myself asking that, if I'm being honest. That's a, I'm, I'm still asking myself, like, God, are you sure you got this right? You know, I don't think I'm qualified. I think I've disqualified myself multiple times. It's not if Jesus can accept me, but can't. <laughs> it's not if I accept him. Of course I accept him. He's amazing. What he's done for me, incredible. How can I not? But can he accept me? The Holy Spirit will always be showing us that there is work to do. But don't be discouraged. It doesn't matter if you are a pastor or if you're a new believer, there is work to do. But there is hope by the transformative grace of Jesus. When, when I get those kind of convictions, it can be shocking. It can be shocking to know that you are so far from where you want to be in that moment. You know, in whatever context you're talking about it, it can be sometimes you can blow up and you can go oh, I didn't even realize I had that in me like we just blow up in frustration but the, the spirit is showing us that that this is not the way is exposing it that you need to change some patterns in, in you that you need to deal with some stuff in your life and by the grace of God we can follow a new way of living and this is what emotionally healthy spirituality was for many of us so it's a little bit of an advertisement here I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet participated in this, we're going to be running it again September 4th, 5th, every other week, a guys and a ladies group. And we're basically just giving you tools to, to, um, to work on the immaturity that is in all of us. You know, we need to be emotionally mature. We can be spiritually mature. A lot of the times, the, the things that are, make us get stuck in life are, are things in us. We, we, we can sometimes wonder, you know, has God abandon me why is God not like why am I not growing but often it's things that we're just not dealing with and so with these tools you can bring a lot of stuff to the surface we can we can bring things to God and allow him to work in those areas of our life and it's not it's absolutely not like hey when you finish the course like you're done no actually you just kind of it's like start of a new exciting adventure it's like okay now I'm going to work on these things you know like I, I realize now where I'm where I'm coming up short and I've, I've, I see how God can make changes in those areas of my life. And there's a little bit of accountability as well because you do it in a group. And I also think that's a crucial aspect of it is in the sharing. When we bring things out with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're actually inviting God into that situation as well. It's just like what Joe was saying this morning. Sometimes we just walk around with you know, unspoken prayers, like unspoken frustrations. And this is one of the things that really came up for me in the course is that like I started journaling. I started like writing down like... Not just like confessing when I blew up, but like, okay, why did I do that? What is going on in my heart? Like try to dig a little bit deeper. And you realize that a lot of it comes down to, you know, not really just trusting God. It's like, you know, I, I, okay, God doesn't seem like it's working. I need to make something happen. I'm getting super frustrated. And you realize that you ju we, we just need to, you know, get to that place where we're resting in God. We're trusting in him. We need to get to a deeper level of relationship with our God. So um, it's a little bit like holding up a mirror um, to, to yourself when, when you do this course. And so 
Um, sorry, I just lost my way there. But, uh, yeah, so it, like the law it is like a mirror to God's people. In the same way as we go through EHS, sometimes it can, it, we, we can reflect on ourselves, reflect on where we're at as a person, and it, and it can expose a lot of stuff. And see, the law for the people of Israel was a little bit like that as well. He gave them the law for them to realize, to look in the mirror and go, you are missing the mark. It exposed that for them, that they are not living according to the design that he had for them. And so we can have moments like that as well. This mirror, it still exists for us today. We know when we look in God's word, whether it be the, the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount or any of Jesus' teaching, we, we, we see that we miss the mark, that we're not living according to his design for us, right? And it can be exposed when we look at that mirror. But by the grace of Jesus, it's not a condemnation anymore. I mean, whereas once the law was a curse, they looked at it and went like, you know, this is impossible. I cannot, I cannot reach what this, this, is, um, this vision, I cannot do that. It was like an accusation that could never be realized in man's strength. But today the law is a beautiful picture of what God is turning us into, that he has promised to turn us into, a holy priesthood. It's a new vision for your future, a new way to be human. And like any vision, whether it's for your career, your health, your family, we all get discouraged and can wonder if this is really going to happen. And the people of Israel were certainly no different to that. In the middle of today's passage, are a couple lines from Psalm 44 that almost seem, they seem almost out of place. And unfortunately, Shethel's just gone out because I need him for this one. Because um, <laughs> these lines seem more out of place. But Paul is employing a teaching technique. So, Sammy, you can help me out instead on this next one. He's using a teaching technique common to rabbis of his day called a remez. Everyone knows what a remez is, right? Right? Uh, and, and it's basically where... They would sing one lyric of a popular song and your mind would set off and you would sing the rest of it, right? So like if I sing, whoa, we're halfway there, Simon would sing, there you go, thank you very much. <laughs> Shadow would have been singing, yeah, you missed your cue, man, come on. <laughs> so Psalm 44 was a well-known song of lament. So when those lines are shared, they know, ah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I know what that psalm is about right they got it and because they knew the scripture so well back then right so the thing about psalm 44 for us that don't know it maybe as well it's a song of lament it was written at a dark time in israel's history when it seemed like god had forsaken israel because of their sin israel's enemies were all around them they were crushing them and so the psalmist asked if god had taken his eyes off them forever you know we talked about the the, the wrath of God, how God could turn away from his people in judgment. And he's like, are you, are you, like the psalmist is like, are you forever going to just turn your gaze from us? And Romans 8 is Paul's answer to that. Because a lot of us feel like we're in a Psalm 44 sometimes. So our enemies are surrounding us. We feel like we're in a dark place. We have a song of lament in our heart, right? And so Paul's answer to that, it, in, the, in the gospel's answer to that, is a resounding no. He has not forgotten about you. No way. But why does Paul go to such lengths to convince us of this fact? Because there are some problems that we have to reconcile with that truth. 
and I'm going to give you two today. So the first off is that we are actually chargeable. We're guilty. That's a problem. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? We would discover that we are more sinful than we thought. You may, may have left the big public sins at the altar when you came to Jesus, but the underlying patterns and hurts, they still need work. But Jesus, he's interceding on our behalf. In other words, he is our advocate in, a, in our court of judgment. I mean, he's presenting the case to the father that is the judge. He's our advocate. But he's not, make, he's not doing a plea of mercy. Like if we were going on our own, we would just plead mercy. We're like, I'm guilty. I have no way of paying this off. I'm guilty. Father, show me mercy. That would have been our plea. But that wasn't Jesus' plea. Je- Jesus was pleading for justice. Now, justice in any normal circumstances, that would have been pretty scary because that would have meant death for us because we're sinners. But he's asking for justice because he shows his works to the Father. Look at I did. I went to the cross for this guy. I've already paid his price. That's what he presented to the Father. And that is why we were acquitted. We were acquitted on the account of what he did. His ransom. The ransom was paid in full by him. So it's not mercy, it's justice. Justice has been served. That is crazy. That is amazing grace. The incredible thing is is the law through Jesus, it's no longer death to us. It's on our side. That is nuts. We need not fear judgment. We need not fear judgment. Now the second problem that we have, that we have to reconcile, is that we may be suffering. I know many of you suffered through many trials and tribulations. Maybe you're in that right now. Maybe you're in the valley right now. And and Paul responds to this as well. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now, we can believe that our circumstances are a sign of God's love for us. And then make the mistake of framing suffering as some kind of sign of his displeasure for us. But if our challenges are a sign of God's love or lack thereof, then how do we explain what Jesus had to go through? His only begotten son, the one without sin, the one that he loved more than anything. He went through some crazy suffering. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Suffering is not a sign of rejection. In the case of Jesus, it was the sign of his love. Think about that. The father held nothing back in giving his son. So how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Some translations say all things we need. He will give you everything that you need in this life. If you don't get something, it's because you actually don't need it. Amen. God is not a stingy God, not at all. But he gives us what we truly need in this life. You know, an easy life, that isn't necessarily a sign of God's love, just as a hard life is not a sign of God's rejection. The cross is the sign of God's love, and that felt a lot like rejection at the time. Even Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes... 
when we're in suffering, it's hard to reconcile that with the fact that God loves us. But we need to just trust that he's working all things together for our good. So Romans 8, 37 to 39. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, the future, nor any powers, I'm looking at it, I can't tell, neither height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Apparently, singing it helps. Maybe, does anyone know the melody? I don't know. (laughs) These are the legal arguments here of the Spirit that state the case of our righteousness despite the evidence to the contrary that we feel inside or we see around us. We need these words. Paul is dictating here. As I said in the rest, he's just talking about, he's talking about the Spirit, what the Spirit does. But he's not talking about the Spirit here. He's inspired by the Spirit. He was a man that experienced all trials, everything mentioned here by sword, forces of nature, powers and principalities. And yet through it all, he was convinced, he was persuaded. And we need that same constant assurance from the Holy Spirit that we are his fear, bitterness, pride, guilt are all sins. that are, They're actually signs suggesting that we aren't convinced. That is the fruit of doubt. That is the fruit of disbelief. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would show us today, persuade us that God has not, will not ever give up on us. Because we need help to stop with the, the but. What about if this, uh, you know, this question of our reality in Christ? And instead, we need to come to a place where we categorically believe that we are forgiven that we are adopted, that we are secure in our relationship with him forever. Now, his assurance, it sounds like God works in spite of our choices, right? This is the bit we struggle with. So I don't have to do anything. I can just do whatever I want. Do we have free will? Does God decide or is it natural selection steering us? You know, this discussion, that discussion is biological, but before it was like the psychological one. Are we in chains or are we just living by our impulses? You know, in the Western thought, it's always either or. We do or we don't. Are we free or are we not free? But in the Bible, it's, ne- it's, neither, it's never either or. It's always you are free, responsible for your choices, and yet everything that results from that is fitting into his greater plan that he predestined. And that's really hard for us to get our head around. This is why we have different denominations, (laughs) different understandings of of that massive mystery. Proverbs 16, 3, 9, I think it's quite, 3 and 9 are quite helpful there. Helps you understand how this jigsaw fits together. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. So it's like, there's a doing and there's a, there's kind of like the sovereign fixing there. And then, he, and then he, he goes on later on. He says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. There's a participation there, right? But ultimately, it's God that steers our destiny. 
The idea that we are free and yet God is sovereign is what J.I. Packer, the theologian, calls an anatonym. I, uh, I shouldn't put this word in. Antinomy. There you go. Uh, in that it would appear to be a contradiction between principles or conclusions that seem equally necessary and reasonable. In other words, it's a paradox. I should not try to be smart. <laughs> Just like Jesus is God, Jesus is man, right? God is one, God is free. These are some things that we struggle to comprehend. We, we accept them because, you know, this is the tradition that's been passed down to us. And a lot of times we don't really question. But when we really think about it, it's kind of like, how does that really work? That's, that's kind of strange, right? We can struggle to comprehend these things. It's like us trying to explain things to our dog, right? It's just like we're on a different level, right? You can't really have a conversation with your dog on the same level. It's different. God talking to us, it's a different level to him. We're on a different level of comprehension there. And, and Isaiah 55, 8 to 9 kind of says this in a good way. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, the, the Bible sometimes affirms truths that seem in logical conflict to us in our simple human minds. But, but both truths cannot be true according to human logic, right? They, they, they're in tension with one another. And yet in the higher intelligence of God, these truths can be brought together. Was Jesus fully a man or was he fully God? Yes, is the answer. Is God free or one? Yes, is the answer. Does God choose me or do I choose Christ? Yes. <laughs> We, we, we cannot explain these things away. So Paul, essentially, our choices matter, but they are not the final word. Our decisions shape how we live our lives, but our destiny is wrapped up in Jesus. So if we believe that the problem with this is if we believe that we have no free will, that we have no role to play, we end up passive in our life. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what I do in my life, right? But then if we believe it all hangs on us, then we end up paralyzed. We don't want to mess up, right? We're just trying to we're just trying to fulfill everything in the law, trying to live right, and we don't dare take any risks in our life. We're not free. But our faith should neither be passive nor paralyzed, but participatory. I didn't think that was a hard word until I said it. <laughs> we join in with what he is faithful to complete in us. I really like this passage in 2 Timothy. 2, 11, 13. I think it breaks down like in a really nice way. It says, here is a trustworthy saying. You can trust this one, all right? Take it to the bank. If we died with him, we will also live with him. So if we put to death our sins, if the things that get exposed to us, if we, if we turn away from that, and, it, and if, if, if we allow his new life to come into that situation through his grace, then we'll experience new life. We'll experience that new creation life that he has promised us. But then if we endure, we also reign with him. If we suffer with him, if we're experiencing suffering in our life, we know that one day that we will reign with him. We will come through that season. He is faithful. We can trust in him. But then it says if we disown him, he will also disown us. So if we walk away, if we deny him, we... He will have no choice but to deny us before the Father. You know, I really believe that hell is a place 
that is locked from our side. The person, this is, this is not a person who, who messed up and is overcome with guilt. And, it, and it's like, you know, I love God, but, you know, I've just done too much wrong. That is not a person that God disowns. I meet people like that. You know, someone who doubted and feels unworthy. Like, oh, how could I doubt God? I, I, I don't deserve him. That is not someone who he disowns. Very few people are in this category. I think the greater tragedy, and I remember this when I was 16, roughly 16, I reckon. I was out with my mum, and we met, like, a guy who was her connected leader who was really on fire for God, like, just an amazing man of God. And he hadn't been in church for years. And my mum was like, what's up? Like, what happened to you? And he goes, he had, there had been sin in his life, and he just felt like God had turned away from him, that he had lost his salvation. But then it wasn't somebody that was content with that, like, oh, I don't want God in my life. He, he had such sorrow that he, he missed that relationship. He wanted to be in a relationship with God, but he convinced himself that God no longer loved him, that God had turned away. And that's the tragedy is sometimes we convince ourselves that we have been disowned by God. And Paul is answering that in Romans 8. He's saying that nothing can separate us from the love of God. What they're really doing, what that person was doing is he was disowning himself. Sometimes other people disown you as well. Sometimes other people say that, hey, you're no longer part of God's family. That's a great tragedy of church history. The people have, have, in contrary to what Paul says in Romans 8, that they, they've told people that you're not worthy of the love of God. And they've walked away from the church. But it, it says here in Romans, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 2, 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. So even when we mess up, he cannot be anything but faithful, faithful because anything else would be a betrayal of who he is, for he cannot disown himself. Here is the great hope for us all. It's why I can't help but preach grace. Sorry for not being more dramatic and maybe preaching fire and brimstone. But as Paul writes, even when we are faithless, when our works are worthless, he remains faithful. That is the hope. Because it's justice in the Father's eyes. The justice is because of the work of Jesus. Because Jesus is our guarantor. You know, it's, it's, it's like a homeless person living on the street, right? No job, no prospects, no chance of ever getting a home, right? And then a wealthy person comes and buys them a beautiful home in Limham and gives them the keys to that house. There was no way that that homeless person would ever be able to get a mortgage, would ever be able to buy that house. But they get to the keys, they get to benefit from something that's been paid by someone else. Now, the neighbors might not like it when that homeless person moves into their neighborhood, but there's nothing they can actually legally do about it because it's legally binding that he is now the owner of that house. But of course, that homeless person now needs to learn how to live in that house. Now, I once heard a story about um, a couple in San Francisco that got in the news because they, they stayed together for like, I don't know, it was like 20 years living on the street. Every night they would sleep together on the street. And they wrote an article about it. And, and um, uh, like a big 
venture capitalist was so touched by it, he was like, you can come and live in my house. So he, he actually separated part of the house and said, here, here's, this is your house. You live here. But the thing is, that this couple had been living on the streets for 20 years. They didn't know how to live in the house. That they were actually sleeping on. They had a beautiful bed, but they'd rather sleep on the floor because they were so used to that lifestyle. And that's how it often is in, 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 in our journey with God as well, is that he has given us a new identity, but we have to learn how to live in that new identity. Sometimes we want to continue to live like the slave when he has called us to live like a son and daughter in his house. Ultimately, Jesus is our guarantor. That our destiny is sealed by Jesus and is not sealed by me. And that gives me, I can't but say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I can invite Shetlock now, the band. So now we have answered the question, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So therefore, let us pursue the project he is 100% committed to completing us. So if we find ourselves this morning, we find ourselves faithless, let him restore our faith. When we suffer, let him sustain us. Let him be our strength. When we discover those ugly sides to us, let us look it in the mirror. Let's call it what it is. Let's put it to death. Let's bring it before him. Let's pursue a life by his grace. Let's live the new life. Let's take off those old clothes and let's put on those new garments that he's given us in this beautiful home he's given us. Let's just stand now. I'd like to pray over us as we finish off this series. I just want to give thanks to the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for sending us a helper. Just as Jesus promised, he sent us the Holy Spirit. Thank you that as we received you by faith, that we know that your Holy Spirit lives in us. That is the seal, is the assurance of our salvation, Lord God. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here today, Lord, who struggles with guilt and shame, Lord, who wonders if you can accept them how they are, Lord God. Let them know, Lord, that they can rest assured that nothing can separate them from your love, Lord, that they're secure in that, Lord, that you are committed to the completion of the vision that you have for their life, Lord God. Instead, this morning, Lord, let them be encouraged, Lord God, that when they see that they're missing the mark in any area of their life, whether it's as, as a parent, Lord, they're not the parent they want to be. As a husband or a wife, that they, they know they're not treating their spouse in the way that they desire, Lord. They're not being the, the witness that they want to be in the marketplace, or they're not being that friend that, that they wish they had, Lord. In the areas that you're exposing, Lord, let them not see that as a, a, a source of shame and guilt, but let them see that as a source of a channel for your grace to flood into their life, Lord God. Let your hope arise in hearts this morning, Lord. That we are indeed a new creation in Christ, Lord. That we can put away the old, Lord. That you can transform us into the image of Christ. 
That is the project that you have started in us and that is the project that you are faithful to complete, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you encourage us, that you are our daily bread, reminding us of the truth of our reality in Christ, reminding us that we have all that we need in you, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord Jesus.